monsters, madness, and magic. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, here with my co-host Jason, and we are joined by a very special guest today. Actor, writer, producer, rap artist, man of many hats and many talents, Mr. Norman Golden II. Norman, how the hell are you this evening? I'm doing wonderful. How y'all doing? How well, the hell are you? <laughs> we're doing, doing pretty damn good. <laughs> good to hear, good to hear. So you got started at a very early age, and you didn't just get started. You, you hit the ground working with some legends. So just talk us through how you got started acting and how you landed working with the big boys. Well, um, man, you know, this is a story that I, I never, <laughs> it's like, how do you start and where do you start? I mean, I guess I can start, uh, I was I was six when, you know, I guess the acting bug bit me. Um, I used to uh, watch, you know, TV. My folks as a family, uh, we would watch the Cosby show, you know, it was a family show. So that was quite naturally something that, you know, we gravitate towards. Um, and, you know, I would see the Cosby kids you know, doing their thing. And I was old enough to know that it wasn't like, that wasn't like real life, you know, but still like kind of, you know, inquisitive about what that was about. So, you know, I'd always tell my parents, you know, hey, I want to do like what those kids are doing. You know, of course my parents were like, yeah, well, you know, when you get older, sure, you, you know, you can do anything. I mean, they never discouraged me, but they were just like, you know, sure, <laughs> mm -hmm. you can do it, but you know, I don't know like how you're going to do that now. So um, actually after, you know, me saying that repetitively, my uh, mom, because I'm, you guys don't know, I'm a Nichiren Buddhist. So, you know, we chant, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. So, um, you know, I was young at the time, so I didn't quite really understand what all of that meant. But my mom would say, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, you know, pray for it, chant for it. And so I'm like, okay, sure. So, you know, periodically, we, you know, my family, we would pray and we would watch the show and watch TV. And I saw the shows as well. And I was, you know, praying and chanting and watching shows. And so, Long story short, my auntie enrolled her uh, son in an acting workshop, and so she suggested that my mom do the same thing. And at first, my mom was hesitant because she's like, I don't know, you know, like he's kind of young. My, my auntie was like, well, he's very precocious, and he has that theatrical talent. So I think if nothing else, you can, if he's been bugging you guys, because my mom also, you know, mentioned side note that, you know, I've been bugging them about getting started right. um, in the industry or whatever. So it just kind of, all this just kind of came after me, you know, repetitively doing that so my mom and dad decided to give this acting workshop a try interesting thing though at the time my family lived in north carolina and not in la my, my dad's job had transferred we got transferred to charlotte so mm -hmm. the acting workshops were in la however i was able to attend the workshops because it was a two-month workshop i was able to attend the workshop because my parents worked both my parents worked for the airlines so what I would do is every, the workshops were on Wednesday evening. So after, you know, after, I was going to say, after school, <laughs> uh, my parents would pick me up and my mom and I would fly to LA and due to the times of difference, cause you know, Charlotte's three yeah. hours ahead of LA. So I would fly to LA. I had plenty of time to like get ready for the workshop. One of my mom's uh, good friends would pick us up from the airport, drive us to Burbank. I would do the workshop and then she would drive us back to the airport. We would catch a red eye, fly to Charlotte. Fly, you know, fly back home and then I would go to school. So we did this for two months. And so at the last class, my dad actually took off work out, back out to LA to do like this talent showcase. And at the talent showcase, there were agents and managers and all that. So there were three major agents, like kind of talent scout. And then all three of them actually wanted to rep me after I did my showcase. Because I, I wrote a PSA actually. So I performed that in front of all these people. Like, we want this kid. So uh, my parents are actually, you know, they got guidance on who be the best uh, representation to go with. And they did that and about, so did all that and then went back to North Carolina and it was crickets for a good, maybe six to eight months. Um, then my parent, my parents were able to put in for transfer to come back to LA because that's actually where they really wanted to be. So put in the transfer, came back, and then I started auditioning on a regular basis. And at first I wasn't booking everything that you know, I was auditioning. Actually, I wasn't booking anything. About three months passed, then I booked a couple of commercials, and then I got a guest appearance on the show called True Colors, which actually went off there right before I booked, and I booked Cop and a Half, and that was just kind of when it started. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how cool it is that your parents were so supportive. You know, I, from the outside looking into the Hollywood industry, that just seems very rare. 
And yes. I can guarantee you most of the kids there were not traveling across the country to go to that class. So that's that's just very impressive for someone so young to be that driven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's you know, when I tell the story, you know, a lot of people, they kind of they're like, that sounds a little far fetched. So you flew across the country for two months every Wednesday <laughs> for an, an acting workshop. And then you flew back home and went to school the next day. Yes, that actually happened. And you are absolutely right. I, you know, my parents are really, really, um, you know, they're, of course, they're, I love them dearly, but you know, I, I really, I often give them praise. I cannot thank them enough because, you know, not only were they able to do that and, you know, make those sacrifices, but even through, you know, the height of my career to, you know, when things weren't quite happening, they were just, they've always been very supportive parents. And they're just, I can't tell you how much, <laughs> you know, I love them. And I, I, honestly, it's not necessarily just because of that, but just, they're just good people, right. you know, to, to begin with. I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, you have to be in order to, to be willing to do that for a child. Cause I mean, I have other, I have two other siblings as well. So, you know, that's that that was a lot on their plate, but I, I appreciate them being able to go sacrifice. Kudos to mom and pop golden. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're kind of already on the subject anyway. My next question is you have a crazy humanitarian history work, even you were visiting cancer patients with cop and a half. And I, I was going to ask if that wasn't that kind of work ethic and generosity was something that was instilled uh, to you with your parents. But yeah, that's. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, my, yeah, my parents have incredible hearts generosity, you know, obviously one, you know, key element that instilled in all of, all of us and I, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, you know, they, you know, they all often said, you know, if you have a platform, you know, use it to help other people. I mean, and it, it may sound trite, but you know, it's, it's really true. Like, I mean, if we have an opportunity to help another individual, I mean, that's really what we're, what we're put here for. Cause at the end of the day, you know, outside of the trappings of fame and fortune and all of that, all we have is each other people. You know, that's like the highest currency that you could you could ever get. A lot of people is lost on that because we're trying to chase the next role or chase the next opportunity or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's people who are connecting and making all this stuff happen. So if you don't care about people or you're just out for yourself, you know, that's it's a very inhumane way to live. You know what I mean? And it goes against just the very grain of who we are as people. Well said. So how did you start um, when you got that? first gig as a kid do you remember how it felt when your parents told you you know that this is finally going to happen i do actually um wow you know i actually haven't relived this in in a, in a while but i was actually <laughs> at school um and this is when i got when i booked cop and a half because before cop and a half i'd done i you know about four commercials and then i did the, the guest show guest appearance on um true colors true colors and so i i understood what it was like to book you know, a gig, but something as big as cop and a half. I mean, I hadn't understood that yet. Um, so that's cool. And uh, my agents had called my parents earlier in the day to let them know that I, I booked. And so when I got home, because my sister would come and because her school was like down the street from where I was. So my one of my older sisters, she would on her way walking home from school, she would pick me up and then we'd walk home together. And so my sister, everybody, everyone knew except for me, obviously. Um, so I walked into the house and <laughs> they start singing the song for he's a jolly good fellow. And so I'm like, why? What, 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 what is going on? So, and they're like, you know, hugging me and, you know, like, yeah, you did it. And I'm like, it's still not sinking in. I'm like, did what? And so finally... <laughs> <laughs> my dad was like, cause he used to call me dude sometimes. He's like, you got it, dude. You got the part. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, the movie. And he was like, and they were like, yeah, everybody like literally in unison was like, yeah, you got the movie. And I was like, what? And so of course I was all smiles and laughs and over. That was great. So you just mentioned earlier that uh, you were a Buddhist, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Okay. I saw an interview of yours in my research where you said, I, it's a quote of yours I found very interesting. You said you were, speak, you were speaking on life imitating art, and you said folks don't understand or really comprehend the responsibility that comes with what we create and put into the world. That's a very esoteric statement. Uh, did, uh, do you think, that's not my original question, but since you said that earlier, I'm shifting. Do you think your mantras as a kid had anything to do with you getting that job? Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's, and I don't mean to get too, too do it. deep, but, you know, I, I, 
do believe that it, it was it was the, the mantra and also the energy behind that. Um, when you you know when it, us as human beings, you know, we have such capabilities, and that that is you know technology. And the we I mean the fact that we're talking right now and a lot of the things that we've seen created by this mind, you know, is is incredible. So coupling that with the ability to to just go out and do whatever. Like if someone told you and you've heard, like for me, I was fortunate to hear all my life, you can do whatever you put your mind to. So that coupled with, you know, obviously, yes, the energetic, um, you know, chanting of the mantra, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, repetitively, that vibratory uh, energy definitely connects us to, you know, number one, our highest good and what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, obviously, you know, Cop and a Half does not, Cop and a Half and my, my acting career and everything that I've ever done is, certainly a part of you know my my life's trajectory so by chanting nam myoho renge kyo or you know basically fusing my life with the rhythm of the universe um at an early age i was able to manifest and show like what we, we call actual proof of you know that vibratory commitment basically to us you know living out our mission and you know it's so i you know i, I would say chanting is the, the modality that I've, that I've chosen that has worked for me, but it works the same, you know, with prayer, whatever you're doing, you know, if you, you are fusing yourself with that higher energy, miraculous things can happen. I mean, and we hear stories just, you know, even off of, you know, we call them miracles, but that, what it is is just, once again, us being really in unison connection with our higher power or, or that, that, that higher vibration. And for me, like I said, with chanting, because it is basically it's an audible medita uh, meditation because it's a mantra you chant over and over nam your ringe kyo nam your kyo so it's the words in them in, in in and of themselves have a meaning and they have you know uh the power based on the meaning we put behind it but our intention is really where you know we can start to see the manifestation of right. things. I mean, you can you can say water, 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 water over and over, but if there is no like intention behind that, you're just saying the words, you know. Or you can say what water can be your man, your 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 uh, your uh, you say your mantra, but there is still a certain intention, I guess, you put behind whatever it is. If that may, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, <laughs> having since you believed that young that that worked that the fact that it did work did work even in your sense even if, you, if whether you believe it or not any listeners out there it worked it has to give validation to your beliefs at a very young age you know and just strength yeah, yeah. Especially, well I mean, I mean i certainly you know that was it was a very big benefit you know, as a result of you no know, chanting you know but that's not just a one-off situation i mean yes right. i chanted for my acting career and there are other things in my life that you know I've chanted to have manifest and they did and there are things that I've chanted for and it didn't happen and it's not because you know I didn't you know I didn't use the same energy or I didn't do whatever what I just explained but you know once again it's it's about you know us being in rhythm the universe and and for me you know my with chanting Nami Ring it definitely keeps you know, and, and chanting Nami Horm Gekyo and also pra the practice of Buddhism, Nietzsche Buddhism, and, and the study of, you know, what it means to be, you know, a bodhisattva of the earth or, you know, chanting these words, um, you know, and practicing to be happy and also sharing it like I'm, like I am with you all, with other people. Right. Um, it just definitely, it, it does wonders for your life in terms of keeping you them. And even when you're out of rhythm and things aren't working the way that you think they should work, it's still for towards your your mission you know on this on this planet i mean we as buddhists believe that you know, creating value while we are here in this you know in this this physical sense is really what it's about there's a you know the saying or frail word that we call we, we say um you know doing coals and roof which basically is a spread of world peace you know and that's not necessarily like meaning we go out in robes and we're like oh here's a flower <laughs> for peace it's like we do that based on you know, our actions. For example, I'm talking to you all, you know, and you were inspired by my work right. 20, 30 years ago. You know, that, that in essence is, you know, me doing Cozen Rufel because there was probably something in that movie that you all looked at and was like, wow, this is an inspiration. I want to do X, Y, Z with my, 
Right. It inspired you in some way, shape, or form. So that's a ramification of, you know, wanting to become an actor and then also, like I said, inspiring so many people. A lot of links on the chain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so cop and a half, when your first day on set, what's it like for you? How old were you? I actually, I was seven when I booked the part, but the first day of principal photography, I turned eight. All right, so yeah, eight-year-old Norman's on set. What what's still going on in your mind? What what kind of what's your senses telling you? Uh, <laughs> um, wow, you know, it it for me it was just you know all the practice that I had, you know, going into those workshops. You know, all the the practice that I had, you know, with the the little skits that I would come up with, my uncle, you know, family members, you know, cousins and stuff, and, you know, just all the make-believe, all the play that I had done, just kind of, like, it was kind of like, okay, this is, this is real. Like, this, you are, like, on a movie set now. <laughs> and there were a few moments, you know, if I, because, I mean, it's been so long ago, but there were a few moments, you know, in my, in my frame of mind then, you know, where actually the first day is like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm here. And then, you know, maybe a month into the shoot, it's like, oh, wow, like I'm actually still doing it. You know, and then I think, you know, when we wrapped, that was actually a very difficult time for me. It was like, okay, so I did this, but now what, you know, when we actually wrapped production, right. you know, it's like, okay, so what, what now? Like, I, I want to keep doing this. Can <laughs> I keep doing this? And then, you know, obviously after that, you know, you have the, the marketing push that I, you know, I had to New York for back and forth in New York doing the interviews and whatnot. And so there was all that time in between the actual production and then the premiere of the film. And then when the premiere happened, you know, it was like finally seeing what I had done, you know, for three months, you know, the, the year prior, because it can't, you know, we filmed in 92, it came out in 93. Finally seeing all that come to light, it was just like, wow, like this is, this is what this is all about. And I mean, obviously I was, I was hooked. I mean, that was, what it what it was about for me like I, I was like this is this is it okay this is all the, the the dream that i have from you know watching the cosby like i am now one of them <laughs> and it was it was tripped out you know it was just like you know there was a lot of, there was an immense even at that age it was like an immense amount of gratitude and like wow i actually get a chance to do this it's got to be a cool feeling um oh I yeah it was it was dope in one of your other interviews i saw that um you weren't too familiar with burt reynolds work going into cop and a half so yeah. at what point in your life did you were you able to have that realization like oh shit that was burt reynolds i was eight years old working with you know one of the biggest legends in hollywood history yeah uh i think you know honestly because i you know burt was such a humble dude you know um and this this may sound contradictory i mean he was very aware of his success and what he had done but he wasn't like you know, he carried himself in a, in a confident, like, yes, I am capable, but I'm not like, you know, like, yes, I'm Burke Reynolds. You know what I mean? Because actually <laughs> right. at the moment I worked with him, <laughs> he had, he had been, he had gone through, I mean, Burt's career overall had, has been, you know, he'd gone through some things. Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, based on that and his, the way that he, he carried himself and he was with, with me and my family, I just started kind of looking at him as, Kind of like a family member, like, oh, okay, that's that's Bert. I mean, yeah, there were there were periods of time. I think when I, you know, was older, like in terms of my adult years, to be honest with you, even past my teenagers, I finally like, like, wow, okay, I I worked with Bert Reynolds. I mean, this guy for for five years straight, he was the number one box office draw. Like, I don't think anyone has. I mean, I don't know if anyone has actually done what he was able to accomplish, you know, at that time even still, you know I mean? He was one of the most bankable actors in Hollywood. And yeah. so, like you mentioned, that was, you know, I, I had a couple of moments in time where I'm like, wow, that was, that was really something, you know? But again, it just, I, it boils down to very grateful um, to have had that opportunity. Humbled by it as well. I didn't know this until recently when I was actually like looking up stuff when, after we learned we'd be talking that uh, I did not, had no idea growing up that Henry Winkler directed that movie. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. just another one on the list. So what were you doing with the Fonz? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Henry. <laughs> um, yeah, Henry was, I think, you know, because Henry had kids. So, you know, he, he had three children, young children at the time. So, I mean, that was his first directorial film, you know, thing that he, film that he directed. So there was a lot of, 
learning, you know, for him on the set. I mean, he'd been in the industry, you know, he'd been working with the funds, he played the funds, and he'd done a bunch of stuff, you know, uh, prior to Cop and a Half. But it was still, him and I were, um, I say all that to say that him and I think were kind of stepping into new realms, respectively. Like, I mean, he'd been in the industry, but he, he was new to directing. I was new to the industry and new to acting. So I think that was, we were learning a lot together. Um, and I mean, working with him was, was very interesting. I mean, he, he gave me a lot of, uh, quite a bit of leeway to kind of just do, you know, like what I, you know, what I wanted to do, which I think was great for me. I mean, that's the greatest thing that, you know, directors can do with actors, just let them naturally, um, you know, let them naturally like do what they, they do. But then on the flip side to that, there were times when he was trying to direct me and those are the times when Bert would ha- would come in and say, don't direct him. He's a child. He has more, way more energy than you and I combined. <laughs> <laughs> and then some. So let this kid do what he does naturally. As long as he's hitting his mark and he's not screwing up the pages, which, you know, I knew the script from top to bottom before I even got to Florida to shoot. <laughs> let the kid do what he does. And so that kind of caused a little bit of conflict here and there between Bert and Henry. He's like, well, you know, I'm the director. I need it. And Bert's like, well, I'm a director and I've directed more films than you've acted in. So (laughs) (laughs) trust me when I say, let this kid do what he, what he's doing because it's brilliant. (laughs) And you don't feel the need to like, feel like you have to direct him because your job is already done for you. Be happy about that. So I feel I'd say it was, it was fun. It was, interesting you know fortunately I, because i was a kid too i was shielded from a lot of the politics between bert and henry because there were <laughs> uh, when, when oh he, man the um, fawns and the bandit and that's a fight yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, t- I have to say tell this one story so we were we were i forget what shot it was what scene it was we were shooting and I, you know and it's florida it's in, in the summertime and I was, you know, I had, I think it, it was actually, yeah, it was one of the scenes where I had the jacket, the police jacket on. And so it was hot out. It was 90 degrees with humidity. And if you've ever been, if you're from the South or you've yeah. been in the South, you know that weather, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm sweating, like sweating crazy. Bert is doing this. And <laughs> Henry says, cut, right? It's perfect. Yeah. One more time. So this is after maybe, I don't know. 13, 14 takes. <laughs> so Bert looks at me. He looks over at the crew and he's like, I don't think you can get any better than perfect. But let's go again. <laughs> so <everybody's> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm thinking as a kid, I'm like, oh, man. So we reset and finally he, he, him, Bert and Henry talk. And, you know, they're like going over, you know, there's a lot of head bobbing and you know, gesticulating and finally, you know, Bert walks back to me and he's like, he does one of these salutes and Henry's like, all right, that's check the gate. Check the gate. <laughs> you know, at the time, check the gate means, you know, that's the last, you know, last shot of the gate to many hair and the filter where the film was going by the lens or whatever. Next scene. Um, but yeah, there was just moments like that. Often. You know, yeah, perfect. Cut. Perfect. Okay. One more time. <laughs> but, I like how the rest of the crew is waiting on the word from Bert to actually do it though. <laughs> <laughs> and Bert, the way, and the way he says, I mean, he's a, he's, he was a very funny guy, but you know, uh, like even when he was perturbed or like in that sense, just like, kind of like, like you can't get any better than perfect. Like what, what are you looking for? <laughs> this kid is getting ready to pass out. He's got like all these layers of clothes on and it's hell temperature. Between you and Bert, were there any, uh, were any of those scenes improvised or anything? Did any moments? Um, yeah, actually, we, we did quite a bit of improv. I mean, we stuck to the script, but we would, you know, every now and then, you know, we would dance around, and, you know, try little things. Um, I, I, and that's when I really had a lot of fun when we would do that. Um, actually, in the screen test, which is one of the auditions that the very last audition that I did before I actually booked, um, that's actually where I met Burt Reynolds with the screen test together. So we did two scenes and, um, I think that in the screen test, we had more fun with just like ad-libbing and doing things. When I was on, like I said, we were on a set, we kind of stuck to the script, you know, for the most part. But the screen test, uh, we were, you know, doing the scene. And I mean, at this point, I had auditioned. This was my fourth, third or fourth 
audition. I'd done the original audition, then I had a call back. Um, and actually, I was eliminated from the, from the running because they said I was too small to do like stunts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the casting director was like, no, you guys got this kid is, he's got chops. Like he's, he, you got to still see him, keep him in the runnings at least, you know? So mm-hmm. I was brought back in for a second callback. And then the screen test was where I think it was a hundred and from like a thousand or so kids was down to like a hundred and um, a bunch of those kids were eliminated and it, it came down to six kids. Two from LA, I was one of the ones from LA, two from like Chicago, different cities, they flown, flown them in. Um, so I digress just a bit, but so at the screen test, um, you know, I, so by this time I had auditioned so much, so I knew what the material was. So I was very, very like fluid in what was gonna happen, which was, I think was an advantage for me um, because when, when Bert, when I started, you know, doing the audition with, with him, I think he recognized like, okay, this kid has something. So he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, off, off book. So he'd go off book and then I would follow him. He'd go back to a line that was on the, you know, so you start ad-libbing for, I don't know, a minute or so. And I'm just going right there with him and he'd go back to the script and I was right there. And he's just like kind of wondering and then he'd, he'd do certain things like, you know, he'd slam on, slam his hand on the table, give me the play number. And I'm just like, they're not flinching, not batting an eye. He's just like, like, who the fuck is this kid? <laughs> like, I can't, I can't lose him. I can't, you know, you know and I say that because other kids, like he, you know, hit his hand and then, you right. know, they kind of like flinch a little bit. Like, oh, like you know, he's and testing you and you're passing. Of, I'm sorry? He's testing you and you're passing at each yeah, turn. Yeah, and he's just like, I can't, I, I don't, this is, this is, this is crazy, you know? And so he stops the scene and he's like asking me questions, just talking to me about, you know, like my life and who I am and all this stuff. And he's, and I actually have a, a tape of this, but in the tape, he's talking to me and he's like going like this, telling the, the cameraman to like keep it rolling. So he's talking and talking and then he goes into this other skit and I play right along. So finally, you know, they cut and word has it that after I left, he turned to the, to the, um, the associate producer of the movie. Uh, her name is Elaine Hall, and she's like, it's the kid, like, I can. And so, <laughs> now, mind you, Bert had personally done, I think it was 70 of those, those screen tests, and he was in between, like, work, because he was working on uh, the show Evening Shade at the time, too. So he's just, like, tired. Like, I'm, he's like, I don't want to audition any other kid. Like, <laughs> this is who I want to do the movie with. So they're like, we have two kids that, you know, they flew in. Like, you got to at least see them. We can't tell them. And he, he, he literally was like, I don't want to see anybody else. And they're like, you can't do that. They, you got to see them at least. And so he did those auditions, but he's like, yeah, this Norman is who I want to, I want to work with. It's funny you say uh, the give me the plate number thing, because both me and Jason, as soon as you said that, we laugh because we know exactly what scene you're talking about yeah. is how it's said. <laughs> and that's another thing about the movie is, yeah, you're starring with Burt Reynolds, but you're star, you're the star. Yeah, you're the one with all the lines. Me and Jason would talk. We'd, even like sometimes when I was at work, I would just say, "What letter comes after L?" And one, and if nobody say anything, I just you know elbow a coworker. You know, it's just one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. It's, um, it's it's amazing how you know a lot of the line. I mean, just well, just happened to happen about a couple months ago. I was kind of losing myself. I, I saw my hash my name as a hashtag. See, you know, like this this could be scary because you know there's a you know oh, yeah. people are not too kind to former child actors. They're kind of, you know, they can be kind of, kind of mean, crazy. Like, well, I'm curious to see what's hashtag normal second. But most of the time, especially when it pertains, as it pertains to Cop and a Half, I mean, that movie, my shit when I was a kid, and it still is because nostalgia, and it's like this cult classic, you know? So sure enough, I'm going, you know, on down the Instagram post when I was a kid, you know, God bless Norman, hope he's well. And even some of those people like, try, they'll follow me. Like, wow, you know what you're doing? Lately, you have no idea how much, you know, me and my brother or my cousin or my sister or my friend, you know, we still recite those lines mm-hmm. to this day. So that's, that's always cool. You mentioned you didn't really know Bert that, that well going on. Do you think that helped your performance? You said you watched the Cosby show. So if that would have been transplanted with Bill Cosby, do you think you would have been freaking out a little bit more? Probably. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it real. Yeah, I probably would be. Um, I probably would have been more aware of what I was doing, like as an actor, mm-hmm. as opposed to just okay. I don't really know who this guy is, and we're just. I think. I mean, he's cool. He's a cool dude, and you know, we're we're doing this thing, and it's just natural. You right. know, I I certainly think that it would have it would have probably made a difference. I mean, not too much because I mean, I I 
had since then, you know, worked with people. I mean, I was, obviously I was older as well. So I kind of knew what, you know, after cop and a half, I kind of knew what the business entailed in terms of, okay, you people that you see on TV. This is, oh, and then also you're, you're seen on TV. So you're a celebrity. So I, you know, I was kind of aware of that. So it, it, and I never was a starstruck person. So, but I mean, yeah, I, I certainly think to, to answer your question, yes, it would have been, you know, it would have been like, okay, Bill Cosby, you know, and I would have had to like, like Norman, it's okay. Just, <laughs> <it's> like, well, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, I've never seen Moby Dick, uh, but you did work with Patrick Stewart in that movie. So I'm, forgive me, I don't know if, if your role was, if you're similar to Cop in Half, but how how was it working with Patrick Stewart and what do you remember from that role? Um, How was it working with Patrick Stewart? I want to ask you a question. Okay. How candid can we get on this show? Man, you can say <laughs> what you want. Anything you want. <laughs> I think maybe that might be the answer in and of itself. No, I don't want to disparage the man. Um, he, you know, Patrick Stewart was Patrick Stewart. I mean, my experience with him, it wasn't all negative, but it was definitely different than Burt Reynolds. Uh, you know, Burt Reynolds is a guy that loves people. He, you know, is he wasn't aware, like, he was, aware, like I said, he was aware of what he knew, what he had accomplished, but that didn't define how he handled people. He was a guy that just liked to have fun. He was always having fun. He loved what he did. Um, and I think that just carried over to his, just his general personality. Bert was just a person. Patrick Stewart, on the other hand, you know, he wasn't, and I'm, this is just my experience. And I, once again, I don't, I'm not talking negatively, right. just, just my experience. He wasn't that dude. It was just, it was more of, you know, okay, hey, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And, and not even that, but it was interesting story. You know, we were in hair and makeup during the first, like, three weeks of production, which actually was rehearsals. So I just got to Australia, filmed in Australia. I just got there and still kind of, like, jet-lagged or whatever. And we were in the trailer, and, um, you know, I'd spoken to him, and it was just kind of like, nah. and he goes on, and he's talking to, you know, once again, totally different. Bert, if that had been Bert, he'd been like, hey, you know, how you doing? Oh, you're in? The okay, let's so talking a little bit. Maybe not too much, but just it would have been much more personal. But right. so... Fast forward, we're in the hair and makeup uh, trailer, and we're getting our, he's getting fitted for his, uh, the wig that he had to, Captain Ahab. And, you know, we're sitting there, and he's like, so, Norman, you know, what, uh, what role, you know, what, what, what have you done? You know, so I'm like, oh, you know, cop and a half, worked with Oprah, there was a film called There Are No Children Here, Maya Angelou was in that as well, and he's just like, so then I, I'd say, oh, I did this film called Unpromised Land, uh, Joan Plowright, couldn't even get Joan Plowright's name. And he's like, oh, Joan Plowright, I remember back in England, her and I, blah, 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 blah. So then, you know, once I mentioned Joan Plowright, it was like, oh, this kid's cool. And <laughs> his eyes, that's a And Joan Plowright is a legend. Don't get me, you know, don't get it twisted. She is, a, she is up there with all of the other legends that I've worked with, you know, um, including Gregory Peck on that particular project. Uh, which, by the way, he was such, Mr. Peck was like, so much respect for that guy. You know, just something to be said about, I guess you could say, that era of Hollywood, that those guys just didn't let Hollywood define who they were. And tell that, and I'm not saying that Patrick Stewart did, but it was just such a total feel. He was probably one I worked with that just didn't, there was no, like, connection there. Outside right. of, oh, okay, well, you've worked with someone who I respect, so now I can talk to you. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, 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 definitely. And screw you, Patrick Stewart. Just kidding. I'll edit that. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Like, I mean, if I, if I ever had an opportunity to work with him again, it would just, you know, I would, you know, obviously I'd be grateful for that. But, like, it, it was it was an average, you know, it wasn't yeah. anything to write home about, like, you know, working with Burt Ray and Oprah or, you know, any of the other people that I named. Speaking of uh, your other co-stars, what was it like to work with Ray Sharkey? Because you guys definitely had a very cool chemistry on the screen yeah um <laughs> i don't think ray sharkey liked kids but he liked me because, well that works for the role <laughs> yeah but it, it, he didn't like kids but i think he was like once again like like who the fuck is this kid like where <laughs> did he come from he's so like serious and plugged into his work i normally i'm not supposed to like this kid but i kind of do so that was that was the chemistry, I mean, the chemistry that you saw between us was, it was all natural. It was pretty much what it, what it was. But Ray Sharkey, he's a very funny dude, to me anyway. Do stuff on the set, you know, especially when he had that crap, you know, tossed mm -hmm. on him, fish yep. guts and all of that. 
that was really and, and <laughs> I think I can imagine I, you know I <laughs> I heard a lot more swearing on the set <laughs> that day when he had to do that scene but for the most part I you know once again nothing respect resting yeah. awesome. yeah I he definitely you know in a nutshell like I said I don't think he liked it but for me he's like all right <laughs> you get a pass how was it managing uh your school life in this new hollywood well wasn't too difficult because you know first and foremost in my household my parents so the ground rules were set and they were like you know anything under a b <laughs> you know we we give you some leeway but anything you know you got you start bringing in grades under anything under that and the acting stuff is no longer you know, so I knew first and foremost, I was, you know, a student, I was still growing. So Hollywood was, was something that would eventually would have to wait if, you know, the priorities weren't being met. So fortunately for me, you know, I, I happened to be a bright student and a bright kid. So, you know, I was able to kind of keep up with schoolwork and pursue my, um, my dream, you know, with the help of, with the support of my parents and family as well. Uh, I like I said, I can't commend your parents enough. It's just, that's a cool story to hear. It's just, uh, based on all your experiences with Hollywood, they all seem to be pretty positive and that doesn't always seem to be the case, you know, with child yeah. stars. I want to ask you now that you're older, are there any instances that you look back on in your Hollywood experiences where you're like, you know what, that was kind of, that was kind of fucked up. That's kind of. Oh man. You know, I, uh, I was fortunate to really have been protected from racial. I think I, kind of got close to, I mean, and it could have been nothing, but, you know, a situation that happened, I booked a film that was being shot in Northern California. So my parents were on a business trip. And at the time, my sister, who was, you know, she was a, she was legal. So she was, you know, she looked in on myself and my, uh, my other sister. And so it was a conflict of scheduling. The principal photography, I was supposed to report to set. Uh, the day before my parents returned from their business trip in Atlanta. So the agent that I had at the time, he was like, well, you know, don't worry about it. Like I can take him and you can just meet us in Sonora is where the, sh the film was uh, shot. You can meet us in Sonora and then, you know, I'll fly back and that's okay. And, and my mom was like, well, can't they just wait a day? And, you know, I, I'll fly in, get Norm. And even if it's the same day, you know, we can leave the same day, you know? And he was very, he's like, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll look after him, I'll, you know, I'll, I promise you, and he's like really like hell bent on, you know, like saying that he could kind of fit, fit in for my, my parents. And right. my mom was like, mm, something's not feeling right. I mean, it could be harmless, but yeah. I, no, I, 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 we can't do this. So either one of two things will happen. They'll have to wait till we get back or one of three things will happen. They'll have to wait till we get back. I have a daughter who's of age. She can fly with them, you know, and I'll meet. I'll meet her in Sonora and then, you know, I'll take her place or they can find another kid because you're not going to fly my kid. To, you know, I don't know you like, you right. know, and it's interesting because my mom, you know, she recounts the story, you know, as I got older. I remember, I remember, you know, I was 12 and, um, you know, and she's like, that was one of those times when, you know, she really, she's glad that she listened to her gut feeling because like I said, I mean, it could have been harmless, but mm -hmm. it could have been one of those situations where that happened and then something did happen. And then I'm like, screwed. You know what I mean? It's like something's mess, something's not right <laughs> from that particular, you know, experience. So yeah. I have to say all that to say in a nutshell, like I really, once again, I protected me as much as they possibly could. It's a fabulous job. I mean, and it's not, it's not easy because you have a lot of people coming after you. Oh yeah, Mr. And Mrs. Golden, we could do this with, with Norman and blah, 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 da, 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 you know, and there's just like, well, first things first, he's our son and our job is to protect him. Hollywood can wait. You know, exactly. We don't want him to grow up, at least in his formative years, we don't want him to grow up and, you know, on our watch, basically something happens and he's like looking at us like you were supposed to protect me. And right. even even if that agent didn't necessarily have nefarious intentions, he's he's no replacement for a parent. He's not gonna watch right. you near as much as your mother would or your father. Yeah. So Yeah, and it could have been it could have been, you know, I'm I'm out of you know, the care of anyone that's close to me, my family. So like you said, the agent could have been fine, but if it could have been someone else that's like, oh, well, he's here with his, agent. you know, his parents are like, oh, that's, you know, blah, or whatever, you know, and, and, you know, you know, my mom drove home the fact that she's like, I have an adult daughter who's his sibling, who he trusts, like, what's the issue, you know? And so finally, you know, she was able to speak to production and they were like, well, I mean, we just need him here for wardrobe. So like, 
honestly, you know, you can wait, but you know, your, his sister is fine. Like she's, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I ended up actually, you know, flying with my sister. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it, it's, it's always touch and go, but fortunately, you know, I have been, I've been protected, thankful and grateful. So when did you start uh, pursuing your music career? Oh, music. Music came about, well, I'm trying to figure out how to answer this question because I've always had an interest in music. I come from a musical family, once again, with my parents. Both of them are singers. Um, I have, you know, one of my sisters, she's actually has a band and she performs. They're all very, very talented. I don't quite sing like that. I mean, they say I do, but I don't, I'm, my voice is just like, okay, it's whatever. Um, I'm more, I'm a lyricist. That's my, my speed. Um, but I've always been around music since I was, you know, even before Cop and a Half. You know, all of my uncles on my, on my mom's side, her brothers and sisters, like they all sing. Um, as a matter of fact, my grandfather, my mom's father, actually cut a record back in like, and I, we didn't know this until like recently before he passed, you know, sitting around and we were talking like, yeah, hey, you know, I was in a band and the group, we, you know, we actually have a record and um, we're still trying to track it down. But he gave us a name and we, I, we saw the group and the pictures and all that stuff. And they were touring with some of the other like uh, notable gospel band uh, back in the day. So yeah, music has been a part of my life since, you know, birth. You know, I think that the acting thing is actually what kind of caught, you know, my overall family by surprise, because there's a lot, I have a lot of cousins that are musicians and singers and rappers. Mm. Um, for me, I think music came into the forefront when acting was no longer uh, a thing. You know, like I wasn't auditioning. I wasn't, you know, like really pursuing it even that much. It just kind of was like, okay, well, I've done this, um, but I have this other talent. I have this other desire to like, you know, bring this forth. Let's see what I can do with that. And around, I think it was 2005 or so when I really got serious about like, let me see what I can do. 2006, I actually released uh, my first EP. Mm. Um, but it had been about, I would say maybe four or five years prior to that where I just, you know, started writing and started learning what it took to be an MC. Started studying, you know, some people, my brother-in-law, at the time, um, he was actually in a rap group, and he, I would say he taught me pretty much a lot of what I know in terms of writing. And I'm, I'm going to give him his props because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I studied like Nas. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, no, my brother-in-law, who was a, he was a damn good MC, you know, who could hang with the best of us. Actually, as a matter of fact, his group opened for uh, a bunch of acts, Biggie, wow. uh, Mace, um, I forget some of the other names right now. I mean, they, they were from uh, Illinois, so they were really big from, you know, where, they, where they're from. So, I mean, the guy, you know, he had chops. So I'm like, I respect what you want to do. And it's, interestingly enough, I wanted him to write me a song so that I could, like, record it and whatnot. He's like, no, you can write your own song. You know, I'll show you how, but you write your own song, you write songs forever. You know, right. being, an MC, being an MC means you take control of your persona, your style, your music. Well, Jason, you got anything for Norman before we wrap up here? Yeah, uh, I'm curious as to what your upcoming series, Hollywood Kid, is going to be about. Give us a rundown on that. Well, it's pretty much going to be about what, well, I, sh I shouldn't say what we've, what we've discussed, but it's, it's going to show, I guess you could say, you know, the, um, the transition from, you know, former child actor to you know, what I'm doing today, who I am now as a person and also you know how you mentioned something earlier about how a lot of former child actors you know you hear the stories about things that they've they've been you know kind of they've had to deal with when they were in the industry and then as they grew up they just kind of you know yeah. lost going crazy and i think a lot of people attribute that to you know having fame at an early whereas in my case you know i i don't really have those stories and i feel like a lot of times people like myself you know, I'm not the only one. I mean, there's other, you know, former child stars who, you know, and some of them have actually chosen not to pursue, you know, a career. Unlike me, like, I still want to do, you know, what I love to do. But there's this, like, weird thing with former child actors. It's almost like Hollywood seemingly, if you haven't, like, gotten a chance of, you know, transition into your adult acting, meaning you haven't taken a break or you haven't, like, you know, you went from a kid to doing movies as a teenager. Leonardo DiCaprio comes to mind. Yeah. He started as a child and then he kind of, you know, he did things as a teen and then as a young adult, he, you know, he kept his career. Then you're kind of isolated and put in that category of former child actor. 
you know, and it's like, I'm, you know, I'm a whole, as you guys can see, I'm a wholesome individual. You ain't gonna find no crazy stories on, you know, <laughs> on me of doing crazy stuff. And, you know, and I, I still have, you know, I still got, I still got it. I still have my, you know, as a matter of fact, I've um, expanded on, you know, what I, what I did as an actor and I, I write, I produce, I've done all of that. So Hollywood Kid basically just explores, you know, the world of a former child actor does not have the horror story, has seen the horror story. I mean, I've seen, you know, I have friends, I've have, uh, I've seen what that, you know, what the former child star typically, you know, would look, look like, but that's not my, so my story is a guy that's like, okay, I'm kind of like, I guess you could say normal, <laughs> but not really normal because I am a celebrity, but I have these, these fans that people that know me and, the industry is kind of like, well, you know, you're only as good as the last thing on your resume. And if the last thing on your resume is four years old, then they're just kind of like, well, I mean, you got to get in line with, you know, the guy that just flew out from Denver <laughs> with $350 in his pocket to LA hoping to make it big. And I'm like, well, I don't understand how, because you know, any other industry, you've done the work that I've done. You're like, okay, you're respected. You're like, okay, I, yeah, let's bring you in. Let's do some work. So it's, it's exploring that, that, interesting transition from former child star to, I want to say adult star but not in, not in that sense <laughs> not yet <laughs> <laughs> but you know as you know being being a you know performer as an adult um, right. and transitioning that and not you know without any drama basically and that's crazy to think about you know that someone that said by the time you were 10 you had more acting experience than some people have in their whole whole careers at least quality wise you know with the names that you've worked with and to just yeah it's just i don't get it well who am i you know <laughs> well you uh you definitely you hit the nail on the head because once again that's a that's something that hollywood you know i plan to explore that show is like how does an industry in hollywood how, how does that happen where like you said you've not done i mean i've worked legend and you know i'm out here and, and you know once again i count it all joy but i'm like you know I'm auditioning for commercials and I'm, you know, and it's like, there's this thing where, you know, you get to a certain point in your career where, you know, you don't have to audition and you're getting, you know, offers and all that stuff. And it's like, well, I actually been there because a lot of people don't know my very, actually the second role that I actually, actually second movie that I did, the role I played, um, it was a movie that I did with Oprah Winfrey back in 93 called uh, There Are No Children Here. And I didn't audition for that. She actually, you know, her, well, she had her people call my people basically and was like, saw his performance and copping to have, like the kid seems like he knows what he's doing. I want to, you know, we want to offer him the role of Pharaoh Rivers and there are no children here. Now, mind you, I had only done copping to have, this was in 93, copping to have had just came out. So granted, it was the number one movie in the country for the first couple weeks or so when it came out. So, I mean, I guess that was kind of a splash in her eyes, but I still wasn't, you know, fully tested. I'd only done one film and she offered me a role in her film without having to read for the part and all of that. So I say all that to say, you know, I've, I know what it's like to be offered roles as well, you know? So it is, it's an interesting, my story I feel is interesting in, in that regard is like, okay, people will say, well, you know, what happened? Why didn't you, you had all that going for yourself as a kid, like what happened? So Hollywood kid, I think, takes a, if you guys really want to know, I mean, hopefully I'm, I'm working to get it, you know, I mean, it's out as a, as a short, as a short film on streaming platforms. Well, it will be eventually. Um, but I'm hoping to get it to a bigger project so that people can actually see like, okay, this is what, this is what happens sometimes. <laughs> or Norman yeah. is the, the, um, I guess you could say the exception to the rule maybe. Yeah. It's definitely an angle you don't see very much if at all, really rare. Yeah. Uh, well, Norman, it's been a lovely time. I think we're about ready to cut you loose here. I think we've held you hostage long enough. And <laughs> yeah, when yeah, you get gonna... when you release that, make sure you can come back on and we'll talk about it for however long you want to talk about it. Oh yeah, for sure. I would I would definitely I would love to do that. Um it's one of my you know, because I I mean I released a short film called Misperception, which is it's like it's on nope. uh, streaming on Amazon Prime now. Um and Hollywood Kid is actually coming up working on it in January so definitely when that when that want to come back and kind of dig more in this about oh yeah you know. we're definitely going to do that uh and social media is anything websites social media um 
got Instagram, it's Golden Child II. It's uh, my handle on that. Uh, Facebook, Normandy Golden Second. I have a professional fan page, pro page. There, I have a website, NormandyGolden.com. Um, that's about Oh, Twitter. You type in Norman Golden Second, you'll find me on Twitter <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's that's about it. Um, I do respond to fans, friends. I got a, I got a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> fans have that have become friends so you know don't be a stranger all about connecting just people me up ask questions he's telling the truth he does respond to fans we got him on the show so <laughs> we can attest to that that's been uh, another episode of monsters madness and magic thank you to norman golden and that's the end of that that's that <laughs> all right norman appreciate it man that was that was an experience me and Jason are going to talk about for the next couple of days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I noticed Jason a few times when I'm I'm going into like some of the, the uh, explanations. He's really like listening intently. Like, wow. yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have no clue. Like it was, I had a copy of Cop and a Half that I taped off TV with a little white label. Recorded <laughs> through Whoa. the commercials. Yeah. Like watched it over and over again as a kid. I told my mom about this, and she was like, "Really?" <laughs> like so, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I I contacted you, and you know we have we have a lot of guests. We talked to a lot of people, and just in passing, I I hadn't told I didn't know anybody else had watched Cop and a Half. So I'm looking at the schedule. And I'm like, "Yeah, I got Norman Golden Cop and a Half," and I, I just said it. You know, just moving on to the next thing. And Jason was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa." Did you say cop and a half? <laughs> I said, yeah, you seen cop and a half. And then, yeah, that just led to a long conversation about cop and a half quotes. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's one of those things, man. I mean, it's, it seems like the older that movie gets, people are still like, I mean, I've had people, it's funny because they'll be like, yeah, I remember watching that movie as a kid. You know, like they have kids now who are my age when I was in that movie, you know, and they're my age or maybe a little older. And they're like, yeah. We're showing this kid, showing this this film to our kids, and they love it. And it's just like <laughs> kind of like that gift that keeps on giving. It's, right. It's and that's because of you, not Bert. Just kidding. Bert's great. Rest in peace. But you know, like I said, you were the you were the star of the show, and that's crazy to say for an eight year old working with Bert Reynolds. Yeah. But we're gonna let you get out of here, man. And, uh, All much right, appreciated. man. Yeah, been a pleasure. Right, you have a good night now. Magic.